Yes, of course. Burl Bearer. <laughs> I've known a few writers who were rogues and vagabonds. And I'm Roger Moore. I didn't supply the microphone. From a secret bunker somewhere in the Los Angeles area, incredible talent comes together to open a bag of potato chips in honor of Howard Lapidus. I have no potato chips today. Ah, yes, we have no bananas. Don't go bananas over today's show. I am the legendary Burl Bear, raised on records, born to rock and roll. That man sitting right there, Howard Lapidus. Thank you. Manager of so many incredible show business it's personalities. Gotten, it's getting out of hand again. Yeah, and also you represent every gem thief on the Riviera. That's true. Nobody yes. knows that yet. Yeah, nobody knows it, but they'll soon find out. Ladies and gentlemen, we have an interesting, for a change, an interesting program. Why, we, why do you say for a change? I, I always find our shows interesting. But, but I, I listen is, to them myself. in fact an interesting program. It very much is. It is the number one true crime program on the block. In, uh, no, in worldwide radio. That's so true. That's it true. is true. Uh, thank Dan Zupanski listens to this show. Well, thanks. Uh, we have to also thank our friends at the Guinness World uh, Book of Records. And A-Track Tapes. And uh, Dan Zupanski and his uh, lovely bride. Uh, we, we hope that they're all uh, listening up there in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Uh, Canada is on our mind today because our uh, special guest is uh, undoubtedly calling from Canada. We'll ask him. Yeah, but you never know where this guy calls from. He could be He's calling from, he could be gone in Lebanon. Hey, Alan. Alan. I'm on, I'm on the phone. You're that's on the good. phone. Oh, good, that's, good. That's good. Are you in Canada, Alan? I am right now. Well. Can I ask which part? Yeah, I'm just north of Toronto. Oh, okay. Well, I'm a Toronto, uh, Buffalo, Ottawa boy. See, you have there a lot go. in common already. That's right. Except he never shot anybody. <laughs> You don't know that. Well, that's true, and you I don't. don't. Know, and I, you don't know if I'm, I, I was with the Mossad. You have no idea. Well, they, they wouldn't tell me if you were. No, I would, certainly wouldn't tell you. I did have a bar mitzvah. Love spy if everybody knew. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the book. Tell me, I've got to make sure I pronounce your name right and the name of the book right. He has a, uh, the gentleman who's our guest, has a name not made for radio. Great for book covers, but not made for radio. Uh... A.W., his first name is Alan. On the book cover, it's, it says A.W. A.E. A.E.? Got you again. You got that's me again. Why, that's why my training is paid off. You're thinking of root beer. That's right, I was. <laughs> In fact, I even put an A.W. root beer logo next to your name on our website. Yeah, and I thought that was a huge waste of time when I saw it. <laughs> yeah, it was a waste because of time. Because I said to myself, I said, Burl thinks it's A.W. He does. No. It's not. It's A-E. A-E. Okay. I. But his, uh, his first name is Alan. What does the E stand for? Or do you tell us? Yeah, it's my middle name. And the E is the middle name. My uncle Israel did that. Uh, his name was Israel, and he didn't want to use that, so he put a fake J in the middle of his name. Why would he not want to use Israel? Well, we're living in a small town, Walla Walla, Washington. Anti-Semitism was rampant, you know. Oh, you were the Jews. Yeah, we were. We were. Yeah. <laughs> we were in a town of 25,000. I see. Now I understand. <laughs> yeah, now you understand. Okay. That's right. Uh, <laughs> you have had a fascinating life. You've written. I, I, I'll tell you what. Talk to the gentleman something. I want to read something from his book that caught me just great. It's a great book. And it's called, the title is, I'll have uh, Alan tell us how to pronounce it. Al-Shabaz? Al-Shabaz. Al-Shabaz. Which means the ghost. Means the ghost. Uh, I won't bother to read it. You read the book. It starts off with such a hook. The first sentence grabbed me. The next one, the next one, the next one. It is incredibly well written book. And uh, what's fascinating about this, I'm going to have you get into it, is while the main character, the assassin who tells the story in first person, uh, is fictional, everything that happens in here in this book is real. Correct? Historically accurate? Almost everything that happened in the book did happen in Lebanon. Whoa, and you were there. I was there the whole time. So this is practically, I, all my characters are based on composites. 
uh, two, three people mixed together or one person with the name change and things like this. Uh-huh. People from Lebanon read it. They, most of them kind of recognize everything. Yeah. How about you? Which one is you? Uh, read the book and decide for yourself. <laughs> no, no, no. I know. Yeah. Look, I'll, I'll tell you what I think. Don't try is. to hang on. He's going to try to hook us into buying the book, you know, mm-hmm. that bit. You know, they're all trained to do that. Yeah. Here's the deal, okay, Alan? We will sell your book within the next hour. I promise you. He'll even buy a copy. I, I, will, I have I will. a copy. I, I, I buy a copy at the end of each show. But and and people will buy books and we'll sell a book and we'll pipe the book and we'll do all that stuff. <laughs> Who the hell are you in the book? People that know me thinks I am Paul. See, yeah, that's the lead character. Yeah, are you Paul? Uh, the book is, I say the book is fiction, and people that know me refuse to believe it's fiction. And if I say it's true, then people say, oh, that's not 100% true, right? Yeah. I, I, know, I happen to know somebody that knows you extraordinarily well, mm-hmm. and that would be you. <laughs> so you tell me, is Paul you? Uh, let's say I grew up in the same town, in the same time. I was the same age as Paul from the same street how much more do you want yeah though i'll tell you how i got around it because i i did a similar thing in one of my brilliant books as i said in the front this book is registered with the library of congress as fiction don't argue with the library of congress yes there you go <laughs> yeah but people will, will recognize things uh you had a, a i'm not done with the guy i you wait i love it you got a whole hour to go after him i'm not going <laughs> after him i'm with him do you understand yes that? i understand I, that. I want people to get into this book okay we we learn that paul the main character grew up and had really kind of a, a nice childhood. He had, uh, he's a Christian guy. He had Jewish friends. He had Muslim friends. They're all playing soccer. They're all having a good time. Things changed by the time you were a teenager. Am I correct? Yes, correct. Uh, the war started April 13, 1975, and uh, the whole country just uh, was in chaos. Did people want to hate the right people? I mean, did people kind of like bunch up, make sure we're hating the right group here? No, no. My father had uh, more Muslim friends than Christian friends because of the business he was running, and he never—I've never heard him utter one word against them ever. What was his business? My dad was a machinist, and he had a diesel shop where he fixed caterpillars and trucks and stuff like that. So, and these—you know—and so these people were his clients, and he knew them all his life. He never thought of. Uh, of, uh, you know, the difference in religion. We've never even thought about it till 1975. We were totally unaware that there's a big uh, difference between the two religions. Take us uh, before the war. You, okay, growing up. What were your dreams, hopes, and aspirations? Well, I wanted to be a fighter pilot when I grew up, when I was a kid. Uh, I went to a private school. Uh, I was pretty happy. We were well off. My dad came from the Gulf. From he worked in Saudi Arabia and Kuwait for a while. Brought some money, built a house, and you know had a shop beside the house. Business was clicking pretty well. We, you know, and we were all pretty happy. I had toys and bikes and stuff, but we always played outside. We only had two TV stations that opened at 5 p.m., so we, we couldn't <laughs> stay inside. You could watch the test pattern before that. Yeah. <laughs> But you wanted to be a fighter pilot for what? What group? Well, we used to see the all the, all these planes flying around above us, right? And it's pretty exciting, loud noise. As a kid, you always dream. We didn't have athletes to to look up to, like here now. Everyone looks up at an athlete or an actor or something like this. We just just didn't happen there. So, so what, look- what what happened to that young guy? Yeah, give me the arc real quick, real fast. Well, in 1975, uh, we had to leave the home on the spur of the moment, and uh, we left everything inside the house. We had almost only the clothes on our back, whatever. My mom could stash a few cash here and there, and we left the house. I never saw that house till 2005. Was there anything left so, of it? Uh, well, it was, you know, we had we renovated it. When I, went, when I went to see it, it was already re-renovated, but my mom told me that they didn't even leave ceramic on the ground. They took even the 
the tiles off the ground with them, so there's no itch in washrooms. Who, who had wall. the house? Was the, uh, the government take over the house, or did so? Yeah, what happened is we were in a small town just on the outside of Zahli in the Bekaa Valley, and uh, other people who were Muslims that got relocated, they were living on the wrong side of town. Uh, they had to escape themselves. They came and they took over our house. And they just, you know, they just sat, sat in it for, I don't know, 25 years. Hmm. So do they have squatters? Yeah, I was going to say the house? exact same thing. I mean, do they, uh, it's, it's, it's your house, but do they somehow, do they take it over legally somehow? No, there's no legally because nobody... There's no, no law. No, no, no government. Laws. No right. law. They just sat in it. What are you going to say to them? Yeah. Move over. <laughs> You're sitting yeah. on my couch. Uh, yeah, that would be well. There's a chapter all about it in the book. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, what was your first experience with what we would call terrorism? Um, personally. Or in the book, either way. Same. It's going to be the well, same story. I, I was... I've seen a lot of other stuff. I used to run around my bike all the time, and I was a little bit of, you know, uh, troublemaker when I was a kid, so I wouldn't sit at home or near the home. I'd take my bike, run around. I used to, to go a lot beside the PLO camps where they were training and they're, you know, because the weapons fascinated me, all these big weapons they had. These guys really looked tough. So we were always kind of sneaking around, watching them from behind the fences and things like this. And, uh, you know, they were training. It was cool until uh, one day in April 1975, I'm playing in the driveway, and then a car passes by and shoots three of the kids from oh. the neighborhood. Oh, my God. Uh, was it, were they fatal shots? Yeah, all three kids died. In front of you? That was the start of the Civil War when, you know, they started running around towns, you know, terrorizing everyone. So they, that's what sparked the Christian exodus from the town. And they're all, some of them went to Zahli and they kind of, you know, stayed there and tried to defend themselves. We did not go there. We went to other places. My dad had a lot of connections. We kept moving every couple of months because the war kept getting closer and closer. Let's uh, let's go back to that those killings. What did that do to you as a kid? That's uh, imprinted in my memory. Let's say it like that. My mom was with me. We've never spoken about it ever, not once. I was with my mom all day yesterday, and we never even mentioned it. We don't speak about that. But it did something to you. And how did it change your life and in your further decisions? Well, I was a 10-year-old kid. I didn't know better, right? I was 11-years-old kid. I didn't know any better, so we, we, we left. We moved few times. I made few more friends, and we moved again and again until finally we decided this is one final move. We're going to go to the predominantly Christian area where, you know, it will be safer. I still, you're 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 not getting to my question. You're 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 putting a wall up, and let's kind mm -hmm. of knock it down. Let's let's find out what turned you and what made you who you became. Lots of the boys when when we I was not the only one. Like uh, all of course the kids not. from my from not. my times have done you know joined and got training, and some got like formal training. Some have less training, but everybody kind of participated at one time or another. It's, to be fair, not everybody, but a lot of us did. And uh, well, you live in that but, environment. But, but 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 Alan, for crying out loud, you see three friends gunned down and killed at the age of eleven. It must have pissed you off pretty good. Outside, scared you, terrorized you. I could go down the list. Yes. I, I think scared me, terrorized me initially, and then your anger builds up, you know, slowly later when you rationalize it and you go, why this happened? I'm not going to let it happen to me or to my brother or to my sister, you know, or my parents. So what'd you do about it? Well, after we escaped, I joined very early age. I was hardly 12 years old when I joined, and uh, I started, you know, training, and uh, they won't let me go fighting. And every time I ask, 
my uncle was like the top guy there and uh, he won't let me join us so i had to wait my turn and just bide my time who were you being trained by which 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 government army uh, there's no, there was no government i know what happened is what happened is the the lebanese army split apart so every high-ranking officer from a certain religion took his soldiers from his religion with their weapons and before you know it there was five different armies wow that must have been a horrifying chaos Oh, it's chaos, chaos. Like, I will, I will give you an example. I drove a car for 10 years in Lebanon. I don't have a driver license. <laughs> yeah, but welcome to L.A. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have insurance either. <laughs> well, I didn't have even a plate on the car. Welcome to L.A. <laughs> there you go. It's just like being in Lebanon. Yeah. So I'm moving to L.A. if you're right at home. <laughs> Please come. Come be more than welcome. welcome. Either that or I'm going to move you to the Bathurst section of Toronto and we're going to turn you into a Jew. But that's another story. <laughs> I got a ton of friends who are Jews. I married an Israeli, by the way, so I don't have a problem. <laughs> that was smart. That was very smart. Uh, in the book, the main character, Paul, is an assassin. A very selective one. Uh, what is his criteria in the novel for who he kills and who he doesn't? Well, he only kills terrorists, right? It's only after proving someone is a terrorist, this guy would work to eliminate that terrorist. Not an easy so job. So it's, it's, it's not on the, the request of a certain government or a certain uh, right wing or a left wing or something like this. It's only after someone commits a terrorist act, Paul and his unit will go after him and liquidate. What got you to join the Mossad? How did that work? I didn't. Paul oh, well, did. Oh, Paul, oh, okay. Sorry, I made a little error there. Paul did. What? What got Paul to uh, <laughs> to join the Mossad? Okay, it's a, it's a very well known fact that everybody tried to kind of throw under the carpet in Lebanon because Israel is an official enemy of Lebanon. We are in an official state of war with them. Uh, the Christians would have been very hard for them to survive without the help of the Israelis. And uh, we don't discuss it because we would be labeled as traitors. Because the Israelis gave us weapons and training, and that was, you know, a great help because uh, we, we didn't have Iran and Syria and Libya and these guys supplying us with weapons. So it's one of those backdoor deals. We had to have superior training, superior skills, and because we were less in numbers, and you know it, we are much less in numbers, and we had to have, you know, modern weaponry and modern training, and it was the only way we could actually defend. Real quick, the name of the book is? Al-Shabah. And it's, it's on sale now? On sale now it's from awesome. Wild Blue Press. Okay. Correct. And what we should do is spell that, <laughs> in all seriousness. A-L. What do I Spell the title of the book. Oh, okay. A-L-S like Sam, H-A-B like Bob, A-H. Al-Shabaab. Means Al the ghost. Exactly. They call him the ghost because it's kind of like the shadow. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of oh, men? There is a character in the book called the shadow, so don't... <laughs> <laughs> I'm still fascinated about, uh, about Paul's recruitment into Mossad. So, guys from Lebanon that showed high aptitude uh, in the past have gone to trips to Israel. Paul and his unit have been selected because they had special skills, and these guys, the characters in the book, have been trained by the Mossad and CRA, and most better, like, it's actually Kaiden that did the trading, not the Mossad. Who's, uh, just a, a, a parenthetically, your opinion, um, who's sharper, Mossad or CIA? They do different things, but uh, you got to remember, Kaiden is the head of the spear for the Mossad. They are the military operators. Mossad is an intelligence agency, but they have a military wing. It's called right. Kaiden. <laughs> and these guys are highly trained in Krav Maga and all warfare, and you know, so these are the guys that train the unit in the book. Are those the guys that the enemies are pretty much scared of? Yeah, you terrorize the terrorists, right? Terrorize the terrorists. Yep. How do they do that? 
They send them rude notes. An example in the book, there was a Libyan operative operating in Cyprus. That's part of the book. And the unit liquidated him when he flushed the toilet by putting, uh, you know, C4s in his toilets. As soon as he plugged the legal, uh, flushed the toilet, it exploded. That's one operation that the books have, you know. They probably saw the movie Lethal Weapon. That's what they do in that movie. That's one hell of a. Oh, yeah. That's one hell I of a know. day. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. I didn't know. It's just the guy was had some good habits about him, and he flushed the toilet. You know, good habits can kill you sometimes. Yes, it's in that case. Oh, the. Uh, I just happened to see on TV the other night uh, a, a program about uh, hunting down Nazis. And there was, mm -hmm. there was one that uh, they decided not to bring back to Israel to put on trial, but rather to execute him, you know. Just, In Argentina. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. And they lure him out of the on a business deal. And you got five guys in their 20s jumping on this guy in his 70s trying to you know beat him up bring him down and tell him why they're going to kill him and that old guy about beat the crap out of those five younger guys it was amazing they finally had to hit him over there with a hammer and shoot him without bothering to tell him why they were doing it but yeah. uh, skip to the introduction usually a good introduction? <laughs> Hi, I'm... No, skip it. No, skip, skip the introduction. No point. Uh, uh, Burl said something earlier. When, uh, he cracked your book open and read the first sentence. Now, were we being totally metaphorical there, or is... No, the, the, first... the prologue, the opening paragraph of the prologue, uh, grab me, bam. Is there any way uh, we can get yeah, a couple I've... sentences of that? Either he can or I'll, I can. I, I would love to hear a couple sentences of the beginning of this book. <laughs> I have the book here. I'll open it up. Unless Burl has it, too. Uh, no, you already got it. I'd have to pull it up on my uh, my phone here. So you go ahead. Well, the first sentence will be, I've become the kind of man I hate without knowing why. Perhaps the scent of death that surrounds me. So that's the first sentence. Of oh, keep going a little bit. Read a few more sentences, please. Okay. I would say women pull their young ones closer to them when I walk by. Nobody sits beside me on a crowded bus or asks to share my table in a busy food court. In fact, I am the kind of man people will spit on behind his back out of fear, out of loathing. They don't actually do it, but I feel it, sense it, and I understand. Is that your is, is that your hand? Is that your perception of yourself, or is that real? Well. Paul became a killer. He did not want to become a killer. It was the last thing he wanted to become. He always hated killers, and then he finds himself become those guys. What crossed the line? How did he cross it? By killer? By when he started assassinating them. He started, you know, some, sometimes you got damaged. Well, how, so how, did the he, how did the trigger finger work the first time? What, what, what pulled it? Well, no, Paul Paul started fighting at the age of 12, right? And mm -hmm. uh, he just didn't know what happens. There's a lot of bullets flying around at night. He really didn't know what it was. And uh, then he went on a couple of missions. A couple of them failed miserably. And some of his friends got killed. And uh, then he was just left the war. He didn't want to fight anymore. He's seen lots of carnage. He lost a lot of friends right beside him, cousins as well. And then he... Uh, he got stopped on a Syrian checkpoint, and he got uh, detained and tortured and beat up. That'll do it and, to you. And, and just remind me, uh, you saw friends killed when you were 11. Did Paul also see something? Yeah, like the that? story, Paul sees that driveway shooting, right? Mm-hmm. And that has an impact. You know, it's a strange coincidence, maybe not so strange. When my father was seven and still in Russia, the Cossacks came through and he was walking through the little village they lived in, holding onto a friend's hand, and the Cossacks came through and shot his friend dead while my dad was still holding his hand. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I've, that left a lasting impression on him as well. My, my, grandfather, my grandfather's brother was shot dead in Monastery Yugoslavia by the Serbians. And for the rest of his life, when he came over here, and I would go for walks with my cousin, he would say, never run. Because he was mm. always afraid if we ran, we'd get shot. And yeah, we were in the yeah. middle of the United States, it wasn't going to happen. Yeah. 
certain habits you develop that you never, never, ever forget. Yep. Like, I walk into a restaurant, I would never sit with my back to the door. It just doesn't happen. I keep looking for a table where I can look at who's coming in. I look at the back door. I notice who's what. Everyone is doing what. My wife tells me, you can't relax. Why can't you relax? The problem is I met my wife in Canada. and She doesn't understand all the stuff that I've been through. So I can't relax because all my senses are working 24-7. Well, the Canadians, please. So, uh, and, and, and my first wife was almost a Canadian. It was that close. Yeah, she was saying at the last minute. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, and boy, she wants to marry me again now. Not gonna oh, happen. really? Yeah. Boy, she got hit in the head with a brick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but life goes on. Yeah, within you and without you. Yep, life goes on. I'm not going back to Canada. Um, Man, this is fascinating because I mean, we should we, we, do this after you read the book. Then you have a lot of questions. <laughs> well, I'm going to read. I'm going to read the book. I, I'm just. In, I'm enjoying my conversation with you, and and I and I appreciate your candor because you know which way we're going here, and you're staying yes. with it, and I appreciate it. And I think it's going to help sell the book because you know I think people want to read about this. This is extraordinarily fascinating. Uh, let me let me uh, strike a little bit of reality for you. All right. My sister did buy the book, downloaded it, and she read the first chapter. And she told me, "I did not only stop reading; I erased it from my iPad." Well, that's not a very good review. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no, it's not. It, it is, and it's not. Uh, yeah. conti- uh, Ellen, conti- continue, continue. Well, she's asking, "How can you write this stuff?" And I'm like. It's good. We tell a story. You have to tell people what's what happened. This there is a, a whole chapter about the town of Sahli that went into a huge, huge battle, and they were totally outnumbered. It was like less than 1,500 fighters, and really trained fighters were even less than that against the Syrian army. The might of the Syrian army with their tanks and their like hundreds of thousands of, maybe they had 20,000 fighters fighting that battle and that town never surrendered and never broke down wow so Dahli is very proud and uh, you know it was there and the only way to make it to town to get ammunition or supplies was to a 10 hour to 12 hour hike in the snow over the mountain down the valley oh, at God. night yipes yes so so this, you know, uh, people here need this story. They ask me, why did you write this story, people that know me? And I'm like, we had 100,000 people, you know, that lost their homes. We had 100,000 injured, over 15,000 killed from the fighters, not, not just the population. And someone, I said, let's tell their story. Yes. Uh, have you probably seen the Steven Spielberg movie uh, about the facade uh, agents going after the, the people from when the Olympics, when they blew the... Uh, Munich. Uh, yeah. Munich, yeah. yeah. And it reaches that one point in the film where the guy says, I can't do this anymore. I've become them. Mm-hmm. And uh, when you mentioned that, it reminded me of that. I mean, did, did a lot of the guys feel that way? Yeah, obviously. Lots of, you know, uh, everything in life is conditioning, right? Mm-hmm. When you're doing certain things, you don't even know that they are dangerous and they are scary, and you're just conditioned to this atmosphere. It takes you a few months to get into that mindset. But then after, like myself, you, you leave it, and it's years later, and you sit down and you go, was I nuts? Was I crazy? How can I, like, you know, live this life? It's, you know, uh, I, it's scary. It's, uh, but at that time, you're not afraid of death or something like this. You're not really thinking about it. And lots of my friends will tell me, why, why should I care about death? Because if I don't die to, today, I'm going to die tomorrow anyways. Like, you know, they're going through so many dangerous things that they they don't care. Scariest thing that you ever were in the middle of? Myself? Yeah. Mm. <laughs> when you're in the same building with your enemy, you can hear them talking, and you're trying to hold your breath so they don't hear you. Ooh. For, for more than an hour. How far away were you from them? 
I was in the next room. <laughs> oh, jeez. Then what happened? Then they left. Simple enough. Yeah, See, you're worried for nothing. <laughs> no. Well, you... I, I couldn't. I was totally outnumbered. I had a, I had, I had 14 shots in my handgun. There's nothing you can do. There's more than 14 guys there, probably. Well, you, you know, had... handguns are useless in battle, right? So. You'd had Keanu Reeves with you. However, yeah, that would have done it. That would have done it totally. Matt Damon or Keanu Reeves, they can go through these guys. Yeah, it's Keanu not like Reeves the movies. Was born, was born in Lebanon, by the way. Yeah. Who was born in Lebanon? Keanu Reeves. Keanu Is that Reeves. right? Oh, no kidding. Oh, yeah. That's so was Danny Thomas. Yeah. I knew that. I'm not going there. there you go. <laughs> I just went to six different places and I edited everything out. I had a, a friend who sells jewelry here in Los Angeles, and he was uh, he's Lebanese. And he was in Lebanon when the, the Civil War, you know, broke out. So you were talking about, and he wanted to get to America, but he couldn't get to America from Lebanon. So his family he has said, to "Go to Cyprus." His family said, "We're going to send you to see Uncle Ralph or wherever the uncle was, who is in." Uh, uh, Iberia, <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> and he went there, and uh, he said it took a bit getting used to it, but it was like kind of like heaven on earth. It was very uh, calm. It was peaceful. You know, the natives weren't restless. And then there was a military coup. <laughs> and get this, Howard. This, I don't know if you know this story. Uh, supposedly, the guy who is the minister of uh, transportation or something is sent to America with $14 million to buy forklifts. The story they get is that he's arrested and put in an American prison and escapes. Well, what happens to him? The guy shows up on the border with tanks, right? And weapons, General, what's his name? The guy who's chopping kids' arms off, you know, on the uh, Blood Diamond stuff. Uh, and he wanted to get the hell out of there. So he got the hell out of there, went back to Lebanon. Things get weird again. He's able to get to America this time. He lands just in time for the uh, riots here in Los Angeles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, is it me? Is it all my fault wherever I go? Probably this him, way? yeah. It's probably him. Now we know the reason. <laughs> yes, it's all his fault. Well, you know, the, the author that uh, gave us the endorsement on the front cover of the book, mm -hmm. his name is Raymond Hoodie. He is the author of the Last Templar whole series. Mm -hmm. And uh, like he's a New York Times, multiple New York Times bestseller. And he was evacuated from Lebanon with on the Chinook uh, helicopter belonging to the American embassy to, to Cyprus. Mm. Because he was an American citizen. He grew up in the United States and then uh, he was in Lebanon studying and the war started. He was an American citizen. They, you know, he was one of the few people that were evacuated by helicopters to Cyprus, and then he he got a ride back to the United States or to London, England. I'm not sure. How long so did he, it take he, you to? How long did it take you, Alan, to get totally fed up with all the killing, the killing of others, the the killings that you had to do? About a decade. I didn't do any of that. Whatever you said, but uh, about a decade, I was pretty active for a decade. Mm -hmm. What uh, What got you to Canada? Well. Things were not going the way I wanted them there. The Christians were in there. We had some inner fighting. My boss was not following the line of the previous, you know, the line I wanted to do. So, you know, he was going after his own interest. And I didn't want to betray, you know, the cause. And so I arranged for myself to go to the airport and uh, fly out. Uh, wearing glasses, looking like a student, uh, with this official story, I was going to Belgium to study mechanical engineering, and I was escorted. Now, this is you're not gonna believe it. I was escorted from the, you know, Beirut was was broken into two separate parts, mm -hmm. uh, the, the the eastern and the western part. The Christians on the eastern side and the Muslims on the western side, and we never went to the western side unless it's undercover, right? So I was escorted by the Amal militia <laughs> to the airport. <laughs> I was arranged by the UN uh, monitors. 
I had good relations with UN monitors, and uh, they arranged for me a special envoy to take me in their jeep to the airport and make sure I got on the plane. And you did. And it landed where? Landed in Brussels. Then what happened? Got arrested. Why? Why would they arrest a nice guy like you? I have no idea. I don't know why, but it was only an overnight thing. The next day they put me on the plane and I continued back to uh, to Montreal. Oh, a lovely Montreal. Mm. You speak French? And I grabbed the bus. Well, yeah, I do. I do. I speak so much French. That's important in Montreal. So you landed at uh, Pierre Trudeau. I landed at, no, it's called Mirabel. Oh, you, oh at Mirabel, right. right. I landed at Mirabel Airport with not much money in my pocket. It was the coldest day I've ever been to. I've never experienced that kind of a cold, even up in the mountains in Lebanon during winter. And uh, I needed to go to Ottawa. I had two addresses in my pocket. One in Ottawa and one in Edmonton. I had no idea where Edmonton is, neither right. where Ottawa is. Oh, Ottawa was two hours down the road. Yeah, well, I didn't have money for a taxi, right? I grabbed the taxi and I handed him the uh, the address for Edmonton. <laughs> he looked at me through his back end. <laughs> so did you end up? Did, did you did you end up in Ottawa? Uh, yeah, I grabbed the bus that evening. I grabbed the bus and I and took me back to Ottawa. Do you remember where in Ottawa you ended up? Well, it was the bus station on Bank Street, I think. Right. It was just off of Bank Street. Yep. That's the bus awesome. depot. And I was picked up there by my uncle, took me to his house, and then uh, I started my life from scratch. Did you Did you live in Ottawa for a while? I lived in Ottawa for five years. How'd you find what, a job? What, what five years were you there? In Ottawa? Yeah. 85 to 89. Okay. I left in 80. I missed you by You knew it was coming. Yeah. I missed you by that yeah. much. <laughs> There's a lot of Lebanese in Ottawa. Yeah, I know that. I know. I used to live in the West End. So no, West End, Mooney's Bay, and Lower Town. So three, three. Oh, I know exactly where that is. Yep. Yeah, you can go there. Where there's a little shrine there. It says Howard Lapidus was here. There's a lot of <laughs> uh, the Howard Lapidus was here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. The, the Civic Center was mine. Lansdowne Park was mine. We could go on and on. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Now, when you when you arrived there in lovely Ottawa, and, and Howard wasn't there to get your job, you know, doing anything. I wasn't. No. Uh, how did you get a gig? What did you do for a living? Well, I needed money very quickly, so I walked around. I walked into, I had uh, some, my dad was a mechanic, so I was mechanically inclined. I used to drive motorcycles in Lebanon, and I loved racing motorcycles. I walked into Yamaha dealership, and with my limited English, I interviewed with the guy, and he said to me, yeah, come back tomorrow. I have five more interviews to do. I said, no, no, no. I need to know now, because tomorrow I'll have another job. I'm not, you know, I'm not coming back tomorrow. You I need are, to know and, now. And, goes, and you are on Bank Street at that point. So No, that that was uh, in the east end of Ottawa, off of Saint Laurent Boulevard. Oh, that dealership. Yeah. I know exactly where it was. Right near the mall. Yeah. Not far from the mall. There you go. Yeah. And uh, so the guy said to me, okay, I like your attitude. Wait an hour. Let me interview one more guy, and I'll give you the, uh, and I'll give you the decision. And he hired me. And you did you, did you scare the hell out of him? Probably. <laughs> no, I had limited English. I needed a job immediately. He says to me, do you have a driver's license? Yes. you have tools? Absolutely. <laughs> I had neither, right? A yeah, driver's <laughs> license for where? <laughs> from where? Where you come from, they don't even have them. They, I've exactly. even got plates. I brought them with me. <laughs> I was I was I was three days in Canada. I was gonna have a driver's license. So I'm like, yeah, yeah. I have tools. I have everything. So I went back to my uncle's house. I said, I need tools. So uh, he lent me some money. We went to Sears. We bought a whole bunch of Craftsman tools, and I showed up the next day to work, all proud with my tools, and I got to work. And you, and you stayed working there for your term in Ottawa? I, I raced. I was working with them on the racing team. I raced their bikes. I fixed their bikes. I chewed their bikes for the racing team. In the winter, we did snowmobiles. We helped them in their shows on the snowmobiles. They were really good to me, those people. And, uh, yeah, I stayed there for a while until my parents were successful to come to Canada. And I co-sponsored them with my uncle, and uh, we I ended up going to Montreal because they wanted to live in Montreal with my sister that came six months before. What, uh, what, part, what part of Montreal did you live in? We lived in, uh, it's called Joseph Gazavon, just off of uh, 
Henri Bourassa area. I think it's called Nouveau Bordeaux. Yep. Oh, yeah, Howard says, yep. Howard knows. Yep. Howard knows. Howard knows. Hey, it's sure. like it's the Saint Laurent area. It's called Saint Laurent, the whole township there. Well, yeah, or Saint, uh, except the street's called Saint Laurent. Go figure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I could never yeah, you're f- right. They compromised, you're right? right? Saint Laurent, the area is Saint Laurent, yeah. But Saint Laurent, Saint, they, they call the street, they give it the English pronunciation. Go figure. It, it always fascinated me. And Schwartz's uh, smoked meat, you know, he must have had some of that. Oh, it's the best. A <laughs> <laughs> free commercial here. Do you ever make it's it to Toronto? Uh, no. Yeah, they have a few, but uh, the one in Montreal is just totally special. Their pickles, their cherry coke, or they, you know, mm-hmm. they're so well known. Do you, do, you, a, do, you, do you know who oh, owns that now? Just out of, you probably don't know this. In the, no, I haven't been that. there in a few years. Celine Dion owns that place now. Oh, does she? Yeah, I don't know if she knows that. But... <laughs> <laughs> But uh, but her group bought the Schwartz's out. I got a, I got a question for you. Getting back to your literary career, uh, your book uh, Al Shaba is brilliantly written, and that's from someone who's supposedly a brilliant writer. <laughs> Thank you. Thank uh, you. When did you begin this literary career? I mean, were you always a writer? No, I didn't, I didn't want to write a book. Be honest with you, I didn't want to write a book. I. My wife always told me, you're such a good storyteller, why don't you write a book? And I'm like, no, just no, I don't want to write a book about my life, things like that. We were one time at a party at my cousin's house, and this guy is like my brother, and we knew each other since childhood, before the war. And everyone's sitting there, a bunch of Lebanese guys, and they all want to be warriors. They're telling about their heroic battles during the war. I'm not even, you know, I'm sitting there watching a hockey game with his son. We're not even into the discussion. Finally, he sits there. He blurts out in front of everybody. Uh, you guys think you're tough? This guy would live six months undercover in West Beirut selling cakes and cassettes and pastries. Get with the program. Then everyone turns to me with their wives and their kids because they never assumed, like, I'm a realtor. You know, I'm such a, you know, quiet guy, yeah, realtor guy. They, they look at me, they go, you? I'm like, no, no, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Right? How, so obviously on the ride back in the car, I had to answer a lot of questions to my wife. And it started from there. And then I started getting the idea about writing a book. Uh, my sister introduced me to all the writings of Raymond Khoury, who is a, a Lebanese that lives in London. He's a, he's a very awesome high seller, you know, best-selling author. So, and I started thinking, you know, maybe I should put those thoughts down. And, and But when the book started, I was going to do it, like, based on some character I created. Then I started, like, it's, you know, it reads like a memoir mostly, but it's fiction. Can you back up just a little bit? How, how did you meet your wife, and how did that... Oh, I was just in a business deal with her dad, and I walked into their house to sign some papers, and she was there, and that was the end of that. This was a write it into the contract of the papers? (laughs) Well, he was a better salesman than I am. I went to sell him something, and then he ended up selling me a bigger deal. (laughs) Take my daughter, please. But was that in Ottawa? That was uh, no. That was north of Toronto, very close to where we live now. When you say you're north of Toronto, can you give me the the area? That yeah, know, it's uh, called a town called Newmarket. I know it well. Yep. Yeah, just like fifty, thirty-five kilometers yep. north of Toronto, maybe it's forty. You know, there's no town in the world that you mentioned it, and Howard doesn't go, yep, I know that. <laughs> well, when you're talking about Canada, and, and, and you know I know what I'm talking about. I've yeah. been there, done that. But um, And it's one of my favorite areas on the planet, if it were just a little warmer. But where you are, it's not terrible sitting in, in the corner of Toronto. Ottawa was awful. Weather Ottawa was awful. Yep. The snow, triple the snow that we get here. That's correct. Uh, I mean, it's not it's even... in the valley, right? Because it's well, in the valley, and they, they accumulate a lot of snow. When it would blow down that valley, uh, things would close. Like for, being in Chicago. No, Chicago is yeah. nothing compared... Nothing compared to... Uh, never, I've never been to Ottawa. Chicago, I've been when the you wind You go to comes. Ottawa or Montreal, because they both sit at the end of the valley. It is just mm-hmm. mind-numbing. It's yeah. not good. Um... It, it's so cold that they put the ingredients for the pizza under the cheese. 
he knows, bump. And he, yeah, he knows I'm right. It's not even a joke. It's not even a joke. It's, uh, so you end up in Newmarket. And, and in Newmarket, are you strictly writing now? Are you writing another book? Or are you, is there something else you do to earn money? No, I'm a realtor. I've been with Remax in town, in the town of Keswick, right off of Lake Simcoe. We live near the lake. And uh, I've been in this town for a long time. I've been a realtor with them for almost 18 years. If, so I, if, I, if I asked if you knew Ellie Davis, would that mean anything? No, I don't okay. know. Okay. All right, she sells in downtown Toronto, but that's another story. Yeah, what yeah. does she sell? No, I, no I'm a realtor. We, uh, you know, I make a living as a realtor. My wife has her own business. She owns mm -hmm. a, like a hair salon and a spa. She has people working for her. And uh, we have three kids. One of them just graduated uh, two days ago from university and yeah. went to the convocation. So. Oh, now, I, I could answer your question, Howard, if he's, if he's writing something else. And this, this book, confirm me here, is the first yeah. in a series. Oh, Paul, we haven't seen the end of Paul. No, no. Paul's got plenty no. more adventures to go yet. Yes, we are. We are in the middle of book two. <laughs> I knew you were. <laughs> I got ins with the publisher. <laughs> so, yes, you, so, I know you, that. so you real estate during the day and you write at night? Oh, you know, I write when I have time during between deals, between sign ups, stuff like that. Whenever I'm sitting in the office, I get something, I put it down. I already have all the outline for the second book and the stories. The second book travels much faster back and forth in time. It's not more. It's not like a memoir. It's going back and forth, and it's from the. Uh, now it's the second one is talking about the uh, the point of view of the mother of Paul, as well as Paul, as well as the terrorist. Oh, I like so that. Three, three voices in the in the book. Well, one more thing, parenthetically, about Ellie Davis. She's the number one um, realtor for. Uh, uh, not commercial residential homes. She's mm -hmm. with she's with Remax, and her area is mm -hmm. um, York and uh, York and Mindy. No, Saint Clair. You know. I see. Okay, so she's downtown Toronto. Downtown Toronto and, and thousands. Yeah, I haven't run into her into a deal because I do I do residential and commercial. Now right. my my connection to Toronto is that my cousin Max had a soda pop factory in Toronto <laughs> and delivered <laughs> soda pop door to door like the old milkman used to do. Mm -hmm. And I went on okay. I went on delivery. I went delivering soda pop <laughs> when I was thirteen. We live in a beautiful area. We are beside Lake Simcoe. It's a beautiful mm -hmm. lake. I spend a lot of time during the summer on the boat in the lake. And uh, I have lots of friends who are boaters, and it's a beautiful, very small town, safe, like uh, five minutes to everything. Now, when you dream at night, do you dream in Lebanese, and do you dream that you're still back in Lebanon doing that stuff? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. Uh, but I'll tell you what, when I was writing Al Shabah, I did not sleep very much. Because it all was coming back? Yes, I think I had some kind of a safe and forgotten files of my memory where I was hidden all lots of other things. Then when I started putting them on paper, they just kind of started flooding. And I did not sleep very well for a few months. So with book two going now, how are you sleeping? I think I'm getting used to it now. <laughs> getting used to it. You'll discover that when you're writing books, uh, you dream and write at the same time. You dream that you're writing. <laughs> Yeah, you know, I, I don't know because I'm not a professional writer. I'd be driving in the car and then suddenly something comes into my head. I rush to the office and I just type it up. Boy, that's like I didn't have time. I'm not a full-time writer that would sit from 8 in the morning till 5 p.m. Oh, me neither. Me work. neither. No, I, I yeah. go from 8 at night till 5 in the morning. <laughs> But yeah. that's just you, bro. That's just, I've always been a night person. Well, the other reason was because my editor, when I was with Kensington, my editor was in New York and I was on the West Coast. And so she comes to work at 9, you know, 9, 9.30 in the morning on the, in New York. And so uh, I talked to her before I went to bed. <laughs> bro, let's reset the current book. al Shaba. And uh, Shaba, yeah. the ghost, and uh, yeah, Chip McGregor introduced me to to Steve Jackson, and that's how we end up doing this book with Wild Blue Press. Uh, very happy with Wild Blue Press. Great authors there; they're all brilliant. <laughs> yeah, I, I I think my relationship with Steve evolved from more than just a, an author to an, an a publisher. You know. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it takes a real personal interest in uh, in the author. Yeah, he's a great guy. He helped me a lot because we re-edited the book almost together at the beginning. Then he, then he, the Wild Blue had to re-edit it again. After it was already edited professionally, but we changed a little bit the voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that. Uh, a lot of people listen to this show. Well, of course, they listen for the true crime stuff. A lot of aspiring writers listen to the show. Think they're going to learn something from us? <laughs> uh, listen, some of the younger, the younger generation will learn a lot of it, especially Lebanese-born outside Lebanon. We are like mushrooms. We're scattered all over the world because the, the, the war has, you know, created the Lebanese communities all over the planet. Yeah, Lebanese diaspora. Yes, and there's like, I don't know, between Canada, the United States, there's I think four million and there's like six million in Brazil. So they're all over the place. Yeah, place is crawling with the Lebanese. Well, yeah, in, in Ottawa, the big Lebanese community in yeah. Ottawa. Oh, I, I know. Montreal, the same thing. I opened a comedy club in the basement of a Lebanese restaurant on Rideau Street, so hmm? there. Really? Yeah. Is it still there? No, 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 no. It was long gone before I uh, then got there, so... No, it was long gone. But there, there's uh, a plaque there that said Howard used to have a comedy club. There's no plaque. There's no nothing. Uh, but I can tell you, Jerry Seinfeld worked there, and I can give you the whole list. Of oh wow! Yeah, that's pretty cool. He's yep. still working, Jerry. He's still working. Yeah, but he ain't working there anymore. No. For 100 bucks a weekend. <laughs> <laughs> that's a rough gig. That's not happening anymore. No. I'll tell you. Have you ever been to a comedy club? Alan, have you ever been to one of those? Me? Many times, many times. I've even seen Seinfeld live as well. Yeah, there you I go. go here. We have a chain called Yuck Yucks. Yuck Yucks are Yuck Yucks. Just as you know, as just parenthetically again, are my partners. They're yeah. your partners. I own the U.S. rights. Oh, really? Yeah, my daughter just went there two days ago with her friend. The great Mark Breslin. Mark Breslin's Yuck Yucks. Yeah, yeah. No, I love stand-up comedians. I think my son keeps telling me he should have been one, and I'm like, uh, yeah, in Arabic I can tell a joke. In English it's a little (laughs) bit of a challenge. If you see that there's a guy named Mike McDonald playing at any point. Yes, yes. So I know who he is. He was my first client ever. No way. Not the singer. The great Mike McDonald. No, not him. Yeah, guess who? Mike McDonald. No, the comedian. The comedian is the yeah, top. He's yeah, the top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The oh. top guy in Canada. And, and we'll yeah, you know. No, uh, when we first launched the Shabbat, we went as as high in that category to number three on Amazon.ca, which is a Canadian Amazon. Yep. We were able to climb all the way to number three. It's like an elevator. One day you're forty, one day you're eight, one day you're three, and then. Then day you're forty-five thousand. <laughs> One day, uh, two million soon. Well, we're trying, right? I keep marketing it, trying to promote it. I have some signings here locally at the local library. We're going to do a signing and uh, some Q&A session. That's going to be tough. And uh, I have to go to Chicago as well in January and do another signing there. Well, if you're ever in Los Angeles, we'd love you to stop by the studio in person. We kind of hope this is one of the, your favorite interviews of all time. <laughs> it is. And I'm going to bring a couple of Lebanese friends with me there that live in Los Angeles as well. Oh, good. It'd be great to have you out here live in person in the uh, Lighten Up Lounge. There's with always lots to talk about with, with somebody like you. A fascinating guy. Great book. Thanks. Congratulations Thanks. on the book. I'll, I'll write Thank a you. review of it and post it on all the appropriate places saying how good it is. Thank you. And it is by the book. El Shabaab by A.E. Right? Not A.W. <laughs> Not A.W. Rubier. No. Thanks okay. again. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank hey, Burrow. Yeah. What's next? I believe, if my senses are correct, it could be Magic Matt Allen and the Demons of Decadence live from the Lighten Up Lounge on AllRadioLive.com.